Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be back here at Faith. I was on staff here as a young man when I was 27 years of age, uh, experienced in green under the gills. And uh, now I'm back here at 60. Experienced. Wiser and experienced. Um, it's been an interesting journey as we have uh, followed God's plan in our lives. Um, my wife and I um, left full-time ministry about 12 years ago. Uh, she went back to school and trained as a psychotherapist and began to practice here in, uh, in Halifax. And I started a renovation business and we both were eagerly engaged and we were at Rock Church and we were sitting in the balcony minding our own business enjoying that time of just laying the burden down and being free and the district called us and uh, said look we really need a musician up in Lance he, he really needs some music and so we went up there and gave our gifts to Pastor Ryan and helped build that congregation get him on the way and they're just thriving right now we're just so excited to see what place we left a full band there where it was just me on the guitar and I hadn't played in a long time and I had to learn all these new open chords and Bethel music and the whole stuff, you know, and, and, and get in there. And we were just blessed and um, uh, continued to see that God was maybe moving us elsewhere. My wife became um, the, uh, the president or the um, CEO of the organization that grants credentials for her, uh, the Canadian Professional Counselors Association, which meant that she had to go for a term uh, to Vernon, British Columbia. So she was gone for four months. I went out to visit her. Uh, we have three churches in Vernon. Two of them were, 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 were pastorless. We walked into one church. Oh, yeah, the other church is empty, too. Uh, you know, I'm saying, God, is, are you really in this? My wife wanted me to move up there. Don't tell her I didn't want to go. <laughs> So I'm, you know, pondering, applying out there and what I need to do. And uh, then the district calls me here and says, look, we really need you to go to Sun Life for a, a term position. Would you do that? And uh, gratefully did that because I didn't want to go out there, right? <laughs> and I've uh, just fallen in love with them and they've extended a call to me. They'll be voting on me next Sunday. So the story goes on. Um, and we're just blessed to have them. We are thrilled at the changes that have taken place already uh, in the short time that we've been there and the, uh, just the zeal that the folks are showing right now is really, really exciting. And uh, I believe that there's great new days ahead for them. Thank you for, I hope you don't mind me visiting here a little bit. Thank you for your, your gift. Um, I, I, I just want to tell you that, you know, we give sometimes when there's need. And, and there's need there. There's no doubt about that. But I want you to know that you gave today to prosper us. Not just to meet a need. You're giving to prosper us. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And we will. We will prosper because of what you have sown uh, in our midst. And I, I, want, I believe that wholeheartedly. And uh, so we accept your gift of love today and support. It's nice to know that when you're in the ring, you have somebody in your corner. And, uh, and that's always so important for us as we, we serve God. 
In the 37 years of ministry that I've, that I've been involved in ministry, it's been interesting to see how the church has changed. Um, you know, I was saved in 1975 in St. John, New Brunswick and Calvary Temple, St. John, which when I came here to church, I reckon I was very much like a sister church. We both had TV shows. We were both on the air. We had dynamic pastors. We had uh, growing churches. That church had like 1,200 kids in Sunday school. I don't know how many. They had a bus fleet of 40 buses, if you can imagine. And they bus kids into church every Sunday. It was exciting. I was saved on the tail end of the Jesus movement. We were Jesus freaks. Long hair and all. And that saved the church. In every denomination, there was a revival and a resurgence of young people into the church who were coming to know Jesus. And, uh, and I just see that powerful change that has continued to take place. It's been interesting. I mean, the church I was, that I was saved in was a classical Pentecostal church and pastored a number of classical Pentecostal churches and uh, went away, however, to Bible college to a school called Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas, which was on the edge of the, of the charismatic movement. They were just like 10 years ahead. I remember looking, and then, then of course, it progressed, and, and, you know, there was the renewal movement, but the music that was sent out from Christ for the Nations on the edge of the charismatic movement went around the world, and uh, believe it or not, I even believe that it influenced Australia, because I remember seeing videos later of, of the Hillsongs in Australia, and they were copying what we were doing in CFNI 10 years before that. We've seen so many changes in music, the, the Integrity Hosanna movement, then there was the Vineyard Church thing, there was the, the Renewal movement. We experienced that wholeheartedly in a young church plant that we were involved in. We didn't know what was going on in Toronto. We were just experiencing things that I'd never seen before at the altar. I, I remember seeing, uh, you know, two or three people just fall out of their seats during the service and out for the whole service under the power of God. There was an old guy, Buster, who was a Baptist fella who, <laughs> who couldn't understand why we had to sing choruses over and over and over and over again. <laughs> why can't you just sing like we do a hymn and sit down and that's it? Well, he comes talking to me at the altar one night after church and someone's on the floor and he goes, now that's the way to spend Sunday service. <laughs> uh, we've seen a lot of surges and changes. And uh, there's been, you know, a lot of molding that we've had to go. I'm 60 years old and I've considered myself, I've tried to stay on the edge. You know, it takes a lot of work to do that. You can shrivel up and become a bitter, judgmental person so easily. God has called us not to be that way, but to be flexible and to, and to input into the next generation as God would want us to. The Pentecostal movement has been, is a power force, and I look out of oh, the crowd today, and I want you to know I see the effects of Pentecost. Multicultural, uh, multi-generational, the effects of Pentecost around the world. I was looking at some statistics. We're part of the largest evangelical fellowship in Canada now, a Pentecostal church denomination. We're just under 240,000. Of the 4% who claim to go to church in Canada, greater majority of that are us. We now speak for the nation. We're from sea to sea. We have about 1,100 churches. That doesn't include Newfoundland. That doesn't include some of the other uh, fellowships that are under our banner. Now, this isn't a pep rally. I don't want you to think this is a pep rally, okay? But I want you to see the explosion 
In, 19, in, 19, uh, in the 1970s, there might have been, I think, 38,000 Pentecostals in Canada. There's, we, we are now 240. There's close to 400, they think even maybe 600,000 in Canada now. That's how monumental the, the movement has grown in Canada. When you look at the world, it grew from about 38 or 40 million to now where there's three quarters of a million and growing. It's expected to be even higher than that by the year 2024. So what's going on in the world today is a Pentecostal movement. Where it's not just our denomination, but it's for all flesh. It's for those who have drunk of the Spirit and have enjoyed and engaged the presence of God. And we're experiencing uh, a hope. The power of the church has shifted from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere. Some of these countries have conversion rates of over 50% of their people. Powerful experience. Some of you come from these nations. God bless you all. Back home, the church is thriving and moving. But it started in a moment in time in the book of Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem 2017 years ago when the church gathered together in obedience to the command of Jesus to go and wait till you're endued with power. And as a result of that, they were endued with power. And they spilled out onto the streets. They testified of the living presence of Jesus. And here we are today. There were modern moves of God. That it went silent for a number of years, but there were modern moves of God. The, the North American breakthrough happened around 1901 in a small Bible college in, 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 in the Midwestern states. And it spread to Azusa Street and then went all over North America and around the world. But there were simultaneous outpourings. What I found interesting was we were at the Healthy Church Network meeting here a couple months ago. And uh, Art Soller walked in with a photocopy of, a, of, a, of, of something out of a magazine or a book. And contained in that book was a Presbyterian kind of outdoor camp meeting that they had had in Wacaga, near Wacagama Lake in Cape Breton in 1858. And there was an outpouring of the Spirit. And the title basically says there were tongues, there was the manifestation of flames over people's heads. They expected 3,000 because they had a fiery Scotch Presbyterian preacher that was their guest speaker. They thought 3,000 would be, well, they ended up with 5,000. Try to imagine the logistics of that. And they were powerfully impacted, and they experienced. So that really flips history on its head here today when we read that. Because, you see, we think North America really kind of started around 1901. But we see now that there was a powerful outpouring long before that. And there obviously must have been other incidents as well. I want, to, want you to turn to Acts chapter 2 first with me today, just for one verse. And then we're going to flip to another. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39 when the disciples were questioned about what had happened and it spilled out into the street. God makes no mistakes when he calls, when he does his timing. The, the, the Pentecost was a, the, the Pentecost celebration was a, was a gathering of the, 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 the first fruits of the harvest. It was a celebration where they came in and they brought the first fruits of their, of their grain offerings. And it was called, it began the, the celebration of the feast of what's called the weeks. 
and they would celebrate the faithfulness of God in the harvest. No mysterious chance that God would, 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 would pour out his spirit on that day and bring the first converts into the church on that day. See, very symbolic. The day of atonement, Jesus crucified, or rather, the, the day of, um, uh, yeah, the day of atonement when Jesus was sacrificed, the Passover. Sorry, the Passover. Jesus crucified on the Passover. Those holidays in particular, Jews came from around the world and gathered in the city on those days of celebration. So when they spilled out in the spreak and spoke their languages, they were hearing the gospel in their own language and they were mystified by it. How can these guys be speaking our language? And Peter steps up, of course, and preaches the gospel and gives a dynamic statement. And he ends up the sermon by saying this, Acts 2 and 38. He says, and he basically says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off and for all the Lord shall call. This was, the this was the beginning of the first fruits of the harvest, so that in the year 2017, the literally millions and billions, perhaps, who have come to Jesus Christ, this was the initial first fruits of it. We're drinking of that today. It's powerful and it's wonderful. Now I want you to turn to Ezra chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I want you to see the progression of God. I want you to understand this. God wants to dwell with his people. He tells Moses in the wilderness, get a tent. Do it like this. A cloud of pillar and fire envelops that tent. God lives in that tent. David has it in his heart and, so, and Solomon to, to build a, a stone edifice, a magnificent stone edifice that today would be billions of dollars to build. Beautiful, dynamic, elegant, Spoke of the glory of God. God fills that with the Shekinah glory. Then we see this building that we're going to look at today, but then we see Jesus coming in the flesh, another building. And now today, we what? We are now temples of the Holy Spirit. We're the building. This presence lives in us. God resides in us. Look at how he's gone beyond living in just one building and one location to where we're literally spread around the world in every family, in every situation, every language, every people, tribe, and nation. Ezra chapter 3 is an interesting story because it's the story of the rebuilding of the temple of when the Jews were, um, were um, taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Their, their previous temple that... that Solomon built in its glory was smashed to pieces, all of its gold and its uh, artifacts taken off to Babylon for 70 years, as prophesied by Jeremiah. 70 years are up. They, they, the, uh, the edict says they can leave and go home. But they don't do that. And it's kind of indicative of the church sometimes, how we've been, we've been called to be free, but, you know, we take our time. They took something like 20 years before they finally left. Finally, a remnant leaves, maybe about 10,000 of them, to go back and rebuild the temple. Later on, another 52,000 come back, rebuild the walls, and to establish Jerusalem again as the center of their worship. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. You've already got it because you're seeing it on the screen, aren't you? <laughs> Cheaters. There are... 
they've come to lay this foundation and to build this building for God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with their trumpets, the Levites, the sons of Asaph with their cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as as prescribed by King David of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He's good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and the Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. While many others shouted for joy, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy for the sound of weeping because the people made such, so much noise and the sound was hard, <clears throat> pardon me, far away. It's kind of a challenging story here that we see because as in any movement, they say most only last three generations. I think the Pentecostal movement now is in its sixth or seventh generation. Most movements fizzle out after the third or fourth. We're thinking our sixth or seventh, which is, which, and, and still growing, which only testifies of the glorious power of God. But within that, there come different waves of experience. And we need to yield and embrace a fresh move of Pentecost. We need to embrace today the foundations of Pentecost that have been established for us, no matter what experience, no matter what generation we come from. I don't see myself as a, as a child of the past ones. I see myself as a child of the present, but, it, but influenced by those past ones. You follow what I'm saying here today? Yeah. It's sad to see such emotional conflict in what should have been a great spiritual victory. We had the conflict of two experiences. A great noise was made by the combined, and it was heard from afar. Now that's, in some ways, a bit of a a testimony, but in a way, a bit of a sad testimony. Because I wonder, and I've seen churches destroyed by one generation not being able to embrace embrace the new experience of the past and vice versa. And what results sometimes is a big noise. And one, unfortunately, the world hears it. It all began with the shout of praise to the Lord. Thank God we have that in common. It's probably one of the biggest changes the church has experienced is how we do worship. By the way, I appreciate the light coming on. I thought I was going to have to speak from the bat cave this morning, you know. I was wondering how I was going to read my notes. There's some quick points I need to move along here for. First of all, let me tell you, the embraced opinion of the new foundation was deficient. That the, that the foundation was deficient was causing grief in the elders. The older saints, the older um, priests, the older family heads were weeping because they'd remembered the glory of the bygone years. It was not as large or grandiose. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. I, you know, as I began to read on this years ago, I was stunned to read like that. Like, in other words, the, the temple, that after this temple was built, they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. It went missing. It's been missing ever since they, they smashed it. It disappeared. It was in hiding or it's somewhere. We don't know. But they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. When they did their Day of Atonement, they, they would sprinkle the blood on a big rock behind the veil. Not the Ark of the Covenant. 
it was deficient. It didn't have what the other temple had had. And so they wept and they cried. The priesthood was weak in its practice. It hadn't, it hadn't been functioning. The people were weak in their understanding of the law and God's word. And, and when Ezra reads the law out loud later on, it's the first time some of them had ever heard it. The reflection of the good old days are great. And they are wonderful. And they anchor us. And we have a rich heritage. I've seen great things in my day, as many of you have. Tremendous things, tremendous miracles. I was at um, our district superintendent's home here just Friday night. We had dinner. We sat down and we talked, and I, and we, and I asked him, what was the greatest thing you've ever seen? And he, he talked about some of it in Truro uh, a number of years ago where there was 100 people saved and 100 people baptized in the Spirit. Powerful impact. I can remember things in St. John. My, I can remember my wife being healed. Like, I, there's, there's just been so many tremendous, dramatic things that have happened. We reflect upon the good old days, and you know something? We can think how bad it was, and, and we don't think anything's better than the days we had. But listen, you know, we, all we need to do is look back at the 17 and 1800s and, and see the passion these people had for God. I mean, these folks would, would, would read their Bible for hours. These folks went in the woods and prayed for days. And they would, they would um, just grieve over their sin and grieve over the world. And they, they, they just had incredible impact in their day. As a matter of fact, it was believed that, that of the 40,000 that were living in the British colonies during the great revivals, almost 90% of them were converted. That's how powerful an impact the, the Wesleyan and the Methodist revivals and the, the Whitfields that preached in those days uh, impacted the, the society they were in. So the embraced opinion that the new foundation was deficient was crushing the grief of the elders. The explosive opinion difference was causing a, a detrimental atmosphere in the, in the newfound remnant. They had come to rebuild, reestablish, re-experience. What happens? Just try to imagine these two howling together. I mean, last night I got a chuckle as I tried to ponder these two groups just howling together and maybe at each other. But eventually the discouragement sets in and the work ceases on the construction. The attitude, I guess it is puny, we don't have the ark. We, they begin to listen to all the things and they stop. And they weren't just young and old. There was old down in the ditches, too. There was young there. There was the middle age. Everybody was doing their thing. But it eventually sets in, and it stops, and the work ceases. And if we pursue our selfish things, we steal from God. And the record tells us that they took the lumber and the supplies that was meant for the temple of God and built their own homes with it. He says, why are you living in these paneled homes? They put the cedar in their homes. You know, they, they took the stones and built their own houses with it. And when we fall away from God, that's what begins to happen. We take what belongs to God and we consume it upon ourselves. Right. 
The excitement and anticipation of the future drives us onward and makes us determined. They didn't stay that way. The Bible tells us they got stirred up. The prophets in their midst, Haggai, Zechariah, and Joshua, stirred up. By the way, these, these books, there's a number of books that overlap this period of time. Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, you can read the same event sometimes in the same books. They, they overlap. Chronologically, they overlap each other. It's an incredible story. These guys get stirred up and begin to stir the people up into, into, into functioning again, into believing what they did and to practice what they did and what they had. It's believed the work shut down by the people, even though the leaders had some terrible threatening letters with the rulers and the government went, uh, representatives around them. One of, one of Cyrus's successors, Darius, reissues the decree. That king died, but this king reissues the decree. Build your city, build your temple. Just like we hear on church, you know, on Sunday. And then we walk out unchanged. But the prophets got a hold of it. And you know something? Even to this day, thank God for the prophetic ministry that speaks the word of God, that, you know, calls and beckons God's people to obedience and surrender. We need a word from God. Every Sunday. Prophets Haggai and Zechariah raised up to inspire the people with prophetic word and rebuild because God has a higher purpose in store for that stone building. Haggai the prophet is believed to have been even one of the dispersed. He was a little boy and he saw the temple. He knew what it was like. And here he was encouraging the people in comparison to finish this shack that God had a plan and a purpose for it. He rebukes their disobedience and exposes why they're having such a hard time. Look at Haggai chapter 1, 3 to 11. In that, he rebukes them and tells them that they, build, they were building their own homes out of the supplies of God and that they were, they were, they were um, working hard and the crops were failing and this was going wrong and that was going wrong because, you see, they had let the house of God lie dormant, the spiritual house. Even we could convert that to today. And he rebukes them and he tells them and he lets them know that it's because of this that you're having a hard time. God's trying to get your attention. In verses 13, 14, he stirs up the leader and the people. Look at that, verses 13 and 14. Uh, it's coming. There we go. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Keep going. Uh, verse, in chapter 2, verses uh, 2 to 4, he reminds them to look and see how inglorious looking this temple is compared to the old. You see, he saw it. Speak to Zerubbabel. Um, that's not the one, is it? Ask them. Yep, he says, ask them. Go ahead. Who of you is left that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing? So he's honest with them. And you know, the North American church, if we might say, is suffering badly. 
We're caught up in materialism. We're caught up in a lot of dysfunction. And we're suffering. The rest of the world is blossoming and growing. Most of that growth is happening in other countries, the other nations of the world. But we're struggling here. But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I'm with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Spiritual diligence and spiritual surrender and, and spiritual submission, experiencing spiritual dynamic in this year of 2018 is so... I said 17 before, didn't I? 2018... <laughs> My clock didn't shift there, did it? It's absolutely, it's absolutely pertinent for us. He reaffirms the real promise, and here's the catch. I want you to see in, chapters two, in chapter 2, 6, 7, and 9. This unattractive, inglorious temple was going to have Jesus walk on its stones. The manifest presence of God himself was going to enter that temple. The completion of what God wanted to do. No mystery, the ark disappeared. No mystery that Jesus would come at this time and season. Because you see the fulfillment of this prophecy that he said. Look at it. This is what the Lord Almighty says in a little while. I'll once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. This is the promise of Jesus and Pentecost. I will, uh, I will shake the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the Lord Almighty, and in its place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. You see, and then we come out of that, the church. This is the fulfillment of thousands of years of God's undertaking and superintending and pursuing so that the nations of the world would be blessed. You're sitting here today, some of you especially, because of that great promise. You come from countries maybe that are in incredible revival, because the message was not just for the Jew. They held on to it. They wouldn't share it. They became selfish. They put everybody else down. So God had to raise up the church. The book of Romans says the church was ingrafted into the vine. And it comes now as a blossoming, flourishing fruit to win the world for Jesus. Empowered by the Spirit. Just as they said in Acts chapter 2, this message is for all of you, from afar and from near, for anyone to draw that God shall draw. Whatever, what, what, pardon me, the appearance of what seems to be deficient if dedicated to God will manifest his presence and power. You know, as Pentecostals in the beginning, you know, they didn't see us very good. We had little ramshackle buildings. They had big cathedrals. They had big organs and whatever. We just had little pianos and, and accordions. <laughs> they were the rich. We were the poor. 
I heard something on the CBC about Pentecostalism. Maybe some of you guys heard this. They'll put something on every once in a while just to get you all stirred up so you'll call and let them know that you're listening. <laughs> they do. And then they'll put something on really bad to see if you'll call in and be all upset about it too. But this guy says, I was, in, I was in social worker school and you know we were trained, he says, as I did this survey and as I did this study, that Pentecostals were stupid and poor and deficient. And, and the guy goes, so what did you find? He says, absolutely the opposite. Absolutely the opposite. But that's how we started. And I want you to know that the birth of the church we celebrate today, we celebrate the infilling of the spirit into that church, into, these, into us, the people. And I want to challenge you today. Maybe our musicians could come. I hope I've been on time. They just let me loose at Sun Life, you know. I believe there's three waves of people here today. There are those of you who have seen the glory. I've heard the stories here. I know the services till two or three in the morning and people being delivered from demons and people being healed. If you haven't heard that, you need to talk to some of your older folk. And some of your older folk, you should not be holding back. You should not be holding back. You should be letting known the great and powerful experiences you had, because that's what God has in store. These three waves of people we need to recognize are, are in our midst today. The generation experienced. You have that wonderful experience, you exemplify, you should, you must exemplify and create hunger. You gotta edify and encourage and make sure the baton is being passed. If you haven't been doing all that already, then it may be too late. And if there's deficiencies, we have nobody else to blame but ourselves. We are the reason there's deficiency. I remember when I went into Pioneer Sussex, New Brunswick, and there was a ragtag band of people there. And there were about 12 of them, but man, they could pray. And we prayed, and we did some things that were extraordinary. One guy had an incredible prophetic gift, and he would prophesy, and he would encourage us, and, and we were just a little tiny remnant, but we grew, and we grew, and we grew. I remember talking to Don Moore at the time, who was the district superintendent, and there probably might have been eight or ten people in the church at that time, and I said, I don't know how we're going to do this. He goes, don't worry. You preach the gospel, and you believe God, it'll happen. By the time we left, we had to put a balcony in the church, you know, to hold the people. God's faithful. Then there's the generation engaged right now. You've got the baton. You know, you're key, and, I, and here's a very interesting statement. Are you keepers of the flame or are you tenders of the ashes? Are you a keeper of the flame or are you a tender of the ashes? You're probably in leadership. You're the transition team. You're the ones who are giving God, who are receiving from the, the other generation and making way for the new, but yet making way for the new so they can express themselves. I mean, who'd ever thought we'd have colored lights and 
you know, all this stuff years ago. We never anticipated that. But this high-tech generation demands that. You're the, you're the individual who has to put the principles and the foundation and the experience to bring change and reach the next generation with the power of Pentecost. Are you giving opportunity for that to happen? The foundation stones of Pentecost are waiting on God. Waiting on God and believing God for the implementation of the gifts of the Spirit in and through us. These countries that are growing in God are growing because of their Pentecostal experience. There's healing and miracles. There's the, there's the empowerment of the church and the, and the edification of the church through the gifts of the Spirit. This is how it's happening. They make way for that. And then there's the generation evolving. I know, I don't know if the battery's going, guys, or what. I know, or are you trying to tell me I'm done? <laughs> there's an incredible hunger in these young people. Some of them are away, probably youth convention. They want to reach their generation, but they need the empowerment. You know, music is important, but having great worship services isn't all of everything. They need to know how to engage their generation, and they are, they're learning that. They know about technology, they know about the styles of music, they know about all the things that they do, and they come up with incredibly different ways, and, and I want to tell you, let them do it. Let them do it. If the baton's going to be passed, let them do it for themselves so they discover a new way to reach a new generation. I told the folks last Sunday, when the Salvation Army was formed, Queen Victoria said that was the greatest thing that was ever exported out of England. Do you know that? They're known all over the world. They would march down the streets. They were in a militaristic society, mil British military schools. That's what kids went to. That's, that's what, it was very militaristic. They were birthed in that era. They would march down the street to a street meeting, beating a great big bass drum and, and a brass uh, band, and on the drum would say, by blood and by fire, we will conquer. Now, can you imagine doing that today? It ain't going to work. They'll find their ways. You lay the foundations of the presence of God and the power of God. Operate in the spirit. Be driven for it. Make way for it. Dare to believe. And I want to tell this, next, this last generation here, dare to believe, put God to the test. You know, that's, God, God told me that a couple weeks ago at Sun Life. I haven't told them that yet, so they're hearing it now. <laughs> we need to make opportunity for the Holy Ghost move like we never have before. Put God to the test. Make way for him. And he'll make way. He'll come in. Engage the world with your understanding of the teachings of Jesus, the empowerment of the Spirit, 
in your culture and go and reach the world. 2018, till Jesus comes, there has to be new techniques, there has to be a new empowerment in the North American church. You know something I'd have to say, around the world, they're doing pretty good. But here, we better buckle up our shoes. We gotta get it together. Stand with me this morning, would you? I believe in prophetic expression. And what do you, what do you mean by that? I mean, sometimes God calls us to do physical things that really are, have a meaning in the spiritual realm. Sometimes our altar calls are those kind of prophetic expressions. And I want to challenge you this morning because I, I, I first, I first want this new generation. We're not going to be long, but I, I, want, I want a prophetic gesture to be completed today. God told me to do this. I want those today who want to engage the Holy Spirit and, 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 and engage this world with the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to learn its ways. You want to learn his, um, his implementation in your life to come forward. I want those of you this morning who are in the stage of in-between. You've, you've been given the, 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 uh, the mandate to teach and train and exemplify. And then behind those, I want those of you who have experienced great moves of God in the past. And you still want to see that imparted to another generation. Now, I'm hoping there isn't enough room here. But we won't, we won't hold you long, I promise. But I want, I want that, that generation to be, to come and stand as representative of your generation first. Come, come, right here, right now, come. Don't be afraid. Come on, you, be, you want to be empowered and you want, you want to see this happen. You want, to, you want to turn the church around. Come. And once these guys have stopped, we're going to call for the second. Come up front, guys, really close, because we're going to have a crowd to stand here. Now the second, you come. You know if you were in this category or not. You know something? I consider myself in that category still. Sorry, I do. I consider myself in that category. Come. If that's all that's coming, it's kind of scary, folks. Come. Because this is where it's going to break down. This is where it's going to break down. I want us to go into 2019 with an intensified dimension. Now those of you who have seen great move of gods in the past, you come, you come, you come, come, come and encourage these people. Tell them you support them. Tell them you understand God will move in a different way. It won't be like you've seen it. And you're gonna relinquish and say, I take my hands off of how I expect this to be. I'm taking my hands off it. And I'm going to let God do it. Now, 
Last prophetic gesture. Put your hands on the shoulder of the people in front of you. Just touch them. That's all I want you to do. These are the chains of desire and calling that are going to drive this church and any church, Sun Life Church, into its future. This is it. This connectedness, this connectedness is what's going to drive it. Thank you. We're going to call on the worship team now to come and lead us in the song that they've selected. You, can, you don't have to put your hands on it. You can, if you want to pray for them, you do that. By all means, we're going to sing this chorus. Brother, if you'd lead us in it.